If I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Craig. Me and my wife, Lauren, we, we get to pastor students here at our campus. Um, Real Life, which is junior high through high school, and then Elevation, which is college students. Shout out to both of those if you're here. And uh, if, you're, if you fit in one of those two categories, come find me after service. I have a lot of information to tell you because uh, we want you to get involved. It's a huge part of our life. And uh, we just love that around here. Um, if you've never heard me speak before, I like participation. And so I want you to feel loose and comfortable. And I want you to laugh, even at my terrible jokes occasionally. Stop it. Um, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 30 seconds. I want you to nudge the person next to you. Tell them your favorite dad joke. Come on, 30 seconds. Do it right now. Prepare our participation. Tell them your favorite dad joke. My dad's back there. He's going to talk about a rope, I think. Um, favorite dad joke. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you one of mine now. I, I read this earlier today. Um, did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? No? Well, it's got great food, but it has no atmosphere. Hello. Okay. Um, that's so bad. Uh, we, are, we are wrapping up this morning our series on God Never Said That. And if you're just joining us, over the last month we've tackled some different phrases and topics that a lot of times just popular culture and just through generations, I think we assume that God said because they're good quotes, they're good phrases, they're good statements to live by. And the truth is, God never said that. Uh, over, the, over this series, we've talked about that God never said that he just wants you to be happy or that everything happens for a reason. And last week, we talked about just following your heart, how he never said that. Um, this week, we are continuing the series by talking about uh, only God can judge me. And this is a really, I've, I told a couple of people, we were talking about that today, and they're like, oh, okay, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a deep one. Um, and a lot of you may be hearing that and saying, well, I know I've heard that in the Bible before. Um, I, I don't know, does anybody else here uh, Google everything for their, their whole life, just their life revolves around Google? Um, I often joke that my wife is the Google queen. Um, she wins 99.9% of our arguments just through a Google search. And she, she, will, she will prove me wrong time and time again. So we did a Google search on this topic on what the Bible says not to do. And so a little preface before we show you this. Um, if you don't know how Google autofill works, basically Google compiles, you know, they know, you know they're, they're tracking everything we do, right? You can be Googling something and see an ad on Facebook for it that next day. Uh, but they're taking all of that information and they compile it into a ranking. And so when you go onto Google and you type in something, when it autofills it, it's taking the most popular results and ranking them for you, thinking maybe this is what you're talking about. So we put in, in Google, the Bible says not to, and this is what it said. I want to show you guys. Now there's some interesting ones on here, okay? These are ranked by popularity. And so one of my favorites is number seven, um, the Bible says not to eat. We're doing it wrong, guys. Some of y'all are really wrong. I'm just saying. I'm kidding. You're not fat. Um, we, I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, don't cut your hair, okay? I, I failed at that just a week or so, a week or so ago. Um, but you notice the number one thing that Google, apparently, according to Google, the Bible says not to do is to judge. And so if God never said that, then where did we get this from? Well, in the 1990s, the great theologian Tupac Shakur wrote a song. And I'm kidding. Do not Google it. Not appropriate for church. Okay. So where did we get this? Well, actually, the idea that only God can judge us comes from Jesus. And it's one of his most popular teachings was during the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you've got a Bible app, 
or you got your actual Bible with you, I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is what it says when talking about this subject. Do not judge. Okay, that seems pretty clear. And that's where a lot of people stop. A lot of people, even if they don't read a lot of scripture, they tend to stop at that verse and say, well, Jesus says don't judge right there. He just said it. Well, you have to dig a little deeper to understand what he's trying to say. You can't just stop when it's convenient for us. To, that's a whole different message. I'm not going to go there. So this is what it says. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. A lot of times we will use this, this phrase, only God can judge me, as a universal form of acceptance. We use this, this phrase and we go back to this scripture and point as a way to deflect the lifestyle that we're choosing that we know is not appropriate. And so if we're using it as an excuse, let's dive into it and make sure we understand the full truth of what Jesus is saying. So fact, okay? We're going to start with a fact in my best Dwight Schrute impression. Fact, okay? Yes, it's true that only God can, has the authority to judge us eternally. So at the end of our lives, at the end of our journey, when we're, when it's just, when we're making that, that, that choice on which direction to go, it's God who, who puts the stamp and says, I'm judging you for eternity, whether or not we're going to be. So that's, that's true. There's no denying that. That's, scripture's clear on that. It's, it's God's call. But is Jesus saying never to judge people about anything? Not necessarily. Just a little later in this same sermon, Jesus commanded us to know ourselves and others by the fruit of their life. In order to do that, we have to have discernment. And so Matthew 7, verse 15 and 16, let's, let's just talk about it for a second. Beware of false prophets who come in disguise as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, by the way they act. We have to have discernment in order to know right from wrong if people are trying to hurt us or help us. In fact, discernment is even a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12.10 says it this way. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, another ability, the ability to prophesy, and he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or another spirit. The gift of discernment is the gift of judging. You can, you can make that call. I've said this before. I think my parents have this gift of discernment. They're just really good at reading people. They know if someone's being authentic or not. Um, David Guzik says it this way. Christians are called to show unconditional love, but not called to unconditional approval. Just because you can show authentic love to everyone, and we're supposed to, Jesus has called us to that, no matter what their lifestyle, no matter if they believe things differently than you or not, no matter what, what they choose to do with their life, we are called by Jesus to love everyone. Please let's get that clear, okay, church? But we're not called to universally and unconditionally approve of everything that people do. There's a big difference in that. If God was the only person to judge, then nobody would go to jail no matter what they did. A judge couldn't rule that. A human judge could not make that call. If God was the only one to judge, you would never get fired from a job. If God was the only one who could judge, you couldn't use discernment with who your kids hang out with. Dads, if God was the only one to judge, you couldn't judge your daughter's boyfriend. Let's just be honest. You couldn't do it. The truth is that we will judge people, and a lot of times we need to. But we have to learn to judge the right way. We have to do it the right way. 
And can I be honest for a second? I, I told first service this, this. This statement hopefully doesn't get me fired, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Christians, we are usually the worst at this. We have the baddest reputation about judging people too quickly and judging people the wrong, the wrong way. And we are the people as Christians, as followers of Jesus, who need to get this right so we can show the, the rest of the world how to do this. But we're oftentimes the worst. And I want to show you a quick video to kind of help set up this point. So check this out. So that's a really funny video, right? <laughs> but listen, this is a spot-on example of a parallel of us as Christians judging people too quickly. I've heard so many stories about people who have been hurt because someone, a Christian, looks at them at a mistake they've made and judges their whole life based on one moment. Or judges them by the appearance that they don't look like their prototypical Christian and judges them instantly based on nothing more than a moment. And we do this all the time. We're judging people too quickly and judging them the wrong way. We don't have all the information. We don't have all the facts. We used to play a game uh, when I was a kid. And I, me and my wife play it, play it now where we'll go to a restaurant and we'll have bad service from a waitress or a waiter or whoever. And, and Lauren will go, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're taking forever, yada, yada, yada. And, and I like to just kind of throw it in there like, you don't know what she's been through. Maybe, you know, maybe she and her husband just got a divorce and she's got to work. She didn't want to come to work today, but she has to because now she's the only money coming in for her entire family. And Lauren will just look at me like, I hate you, okay? But it's true. We, we, we have a tendency. We want to judge people based on how it affects us. And so we have to have that moment of saying, what's the bigger picture here? We can't judge somebody when we walk in and just see a situation. We have to understand the full thing. And Jesus is preaching against this during the Sermon on the Mount. The, the backstory about this part of the message is that the religious leaders at this time, they, they get stuck on their high horse so much that they are pushing people down and belittling people and judging just based... I mean, you got to realize at this point in history, you got judged by uh, having a disease. You got judged by the way you looked. You got judged for everything. And these religious leaders were doing this so much to, to put themselves up, to puff up their own ego. So Jesus was calling them out on it. He says, you can't judge them like that because then we're going to judge you like that. God will judge you like that. We have to do it the right way. John 7, verse 24 says it this way. Stop judging by mere appearances but instead judge correctly. One version says, look beneath the surface. I love this, this version. Look beneath the surface. You've got to go deeper than just surface level if you're going to judge somebody. The reason we have to get this right is because the thought only God can judge me for a lot of people is an excuse to disregard the honest feedback people are trying to give to help you grow. I really do believe this. God has put people in our lives to help us grow. He's put people in our lives for this moment, for this season of life, to help make us better. And if we're just using the excuse that only God can judge me, then we are, we are pushing aside good feedback to help us out in life. We're using it to avoid accountability for our lives. But accountability is vital. Accountability is so important when it comes to not only our spiritual lives, but our daily lives as well. It's a practical thing. 
When we, avoid accountability, when we avoid accountability, we do three things. I want to talk about them very quickly. The first thing we do is we become complacent. When we avoid accountability, we become complacent. We're not improving. People aren't making us better. They're not, they're not sharpening us. And so we become okay with the ordinary. We become okay with just the same old, same old. We start spinning our wheels. We're never improving. We're just staying as the status quo. We stop learning new things. We stop asking questions. We repeat the same mistakes over and over again because we become complacent. The second thing that happens when we avoid accountability is we become prideful. We become prideful. We start to think any success that we have is based on our own decisions and our own merits. And we don't think anybody else has anything to do with it. Nobody's challenging us anymore. So everything is is on us and we're doing a good job. This is why you see a lot of CEOs of major companies or NBA teams or mega church pastors even who fall into moral failure because they are not putting people around them who are challenging them and holding them accountable to things. And if they are, if they do have people in that position, they're not listening to them. And so they start to think that all their success is based solely on what they're doing, their creative resources, their money, their power, and they fall into failure. We become prideful. The third thing, is we become isolated, which makes sense. If we're pushing people away, if we think it's all about us, if we're not getting any better, we start to put ourselves on an island. We start, we've pushed people so far. And listen, in 2019, we don't need help in this area. 2019, we find ourselves isolated a lot. Now listen, I, I, am, I love social media. I'm a tech advocate. I love technology and what it does. In the past week alone, I, I just think this is really interesting. In the past week, I have talked to friends in China, I've talked to people in Australia, and I've talked to people in Guatemala, all face-to-face on my phone or laptop. It's amazing how technology and social media has allowed us to connect with, but we're more connected now than we've ever been before. Can you imagine if we had social media and this technology when Jesus was around and when the disciples were trying to start the early church? It would have been amazing. But the more connected we are, it seems like the more isolated we also become. Now, instead of reaching out and inviting people, and listen, I'm guilty of this too. I'm really guilty of this. But instead of inviting people to come into your life, I can look on YouTube and try to fix it myself. I, have a, I can hide behind a computer screen and comment on Facebook all day long and spit out negativity. We become isolated more than anything else. I remember, um, we, if you've ever driven down to like Florida to Destin, Seaside, places like that, chances are you've probably gone through like you know, Mobile, Alabama and the Delta area. And when you drive down through those areas, some of the most beautiful homes and streets are down in the Mobile area with these old plantation homes and things like that. And you see them and there's huge, gorgeous front porch areas. They're just massive and the reason why is because at some point back then, people would, I, mean, I remember when I was a kid, we'd drive down through the Delta. My dad would, would drive us down to different places. And you go through some of these small towns, and there's big front porches, and you see somebody rocking in a rocking chair, just waving and saying hello to everybody and just being as friendly as can be. And that's what used to, nowadays, we want big backyards. We want big decks, patio areas. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to put all our investment in the backyard because we, want to be, we don't want to talk to people. God forbid we talk to people. I want to, I want to have you over and come. You're, you're invited. Come to the backyard. Let's hang out back here. There's nothing wrong with that, but it just gives you an idea of what, how our culture has shifted. 
that we're no longer, let's talk to everybody in the front yard, let's invite certain people and be isolated in the backyard. But God did not design us to be isolated. We need people in our lives. We need friends in our lives. We need a tribe. In Acts 2, when we read about the early church, we see a very connected, interdependent community. They would sell their stuff to help each other out. They would meet at the church daily and eat together. They'd go out to, some of y'all don't like each other that much. Let's be honest. They would eat together. They would spend time together. When we enter into a relationship with God, when we enter into to community, we enter into the family of God. And I don't know how your family was growing up, but my family, sometimes you've got to hold each other accountable. There was more than one occasion my mom would just look at me and go, you're stupid, stop it, okay? And I deserved it and I needed it because it made me better. And so there's three different faces of accountability. That's where I really want to spend the majority of my time this morning. And so if you're taking notes, the three faces of accountability, these are the people that should be judging us. We don't need to judge everybody and we don't need everybody judging us, but there are people in our lives that we need who will judge us. And here we go. The first one is this, people who went before us. People who went before us. Now, I don't mean people who have died, okay? Let me make sure that's clear. But I'm talking about people who have been through the season of life we're in right now. People who have already been through that, they've, they've struggled with the things we're struggling with and have come out the other. They've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, okay? They've been through it all. Um, if you look throughout history, there many great people have attributed their success to people who went before them because they taught them, they coached them, they brought them up. I'm going to give you a few examples right now. The first one is Rocky had Mickey, okay? Rocky had Mick, who's in his corner, teaching him, telling him, this is what you do. There's a lot of things that Mickey said I can't say from the stage, okay? But he encouraged him, he brought him up. The second one is, is Luke Skywalker had Yoda, Okay? Use the force you must. I'm not doing the accent, okay? But he brought him up. He trained him. He taught him. Luke Skywalker would not be who he is today. The legend of Skywalker without Yoda. The last one, my personal favorite, the karate kid would be nothing without Mr. Miyagi. Okay? How would Daniel-san know to wax on and wax off without Miyagi, right? You have to have people who have taught you, who have led you up to this point, who have, who have gotten you to this, this far. Um, a few years ago, our first time we went to China, shout out real life mission trips. Okay, we're going again this summer. If you want to donate to a student, please do. That's my pitch. I'm, that's all I'm done. We have a lot of first timers going. That's why I want to say that. But the first time we went to China a few years ago, I didn't tell a lot of people this because a lot of people ask, are you nervous going all the way over there? And I would say, no, no, I'm confident. I was nervous. I was lying. Okay. Um, the first, first year going to an entirely new culture on the other side of the planet, I was a little nervous, leading a team from our campus, going there. Um, we were going with another campus. We went with, with some people from Conway. A couple of them had been before, once or twice. And so I wasn't, like, scared and thinking anything was going to happen, but I was just a little nervous first time going over there. And we, we got close to the trip. About two months, though, before we left, the Conway team had somebody drop out, and so Dr. Q decided to go on the trip. Now, if you don't know who Dr. Q is... Dr. Q leads missions for the entire state of Arkansas for New Life. All 17 campuses. He's been everywhere. He's been to every one of these trips multiple times. The dude has been to Asia 58 times in like 15 years. Okay? The, the, he is connected. Um, 
And so when I heard he was going on the trip, it immediately made me feel a lot better. And I'm so glad he went because we got to experience things we would have never experienced if, if he hadn't gone. He knew people. He knew the right places to go. He got to take us to experience really cool food and do some stuff. And it's those same things I have taught our team over the last couple of years when we go. And you have to have people who have been there before to show you what you don't know. It makes you better. We've got to have people like that in our lives. Proverbs 15.22 says this, Plans lack... For, or plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. You can't just have one person. You need to have an army. It takes a village to raise yourself. We have to have people who are investing in us in all areas of our life. God, God has, I, really, I said this earlier, but I believe God has placed people in your life to help you along in multiple areas of your life. People who will, who will show you how to do ministry better. I'm so thankful I have people who have gone ahead of me. Former student pastors that I've, I've had or I've known who I can say, hey, dude, I got a knucklehead who will not stop being a knucklehead. How do I deal with this knucklehead? And they will give me advice and teach me and show me, and this is what I did. You were the knucklehead. I'm like, stop it. And so they'll help teach me and train me along the way. People who help with marriage. I'm, I'm fortunate that my parents have a great marriage, and they've, they've been a great example of that for me. People who teach you how to do finances, and when you screw up and, and go into debt and get too many credit cards and things like that, they can coach you along the way. I did that. This is how I got out of it. We need people in our life who are making us better in those areas. People who have made the mistakes that we're making right now. People who have, have made the decisions that we're struggling to make. We need people who have been there. But these people can only help us if we're willing to learn from them. What good is having somebody in your corner who will teach you all this stuff if you're not willing to learn it? I looked at Forbes.com has this list of the top 10 or 12 things that uh, employers are looking for in potential job candidates. And they want to see these things in, in future employees. And near the top of that list is they got to be teachable. An, an employer is not going to hire you if you're not willing to learn some things and grow and be, become better. If you're going to be stagnant and still where you are, then what's the point if we can't grow? Um, the qualities of a teachable attitude. It's somebody who craves feedback. If you, if you want to become more teachable, you gotta, you got to crave it. You, you can't wait for people to ask you or teach you. You need to ask them, what can I do better? How can I do this better? Um, a, a teachable attitude. This person has more questions than they do answers. This is somebody who's always asking questions. How did you do that? I saw you did that. Why? Okay? Asking questions. The greatest lid in your life is not the talent you've been given. The greatest lid in your life is not the resources you may or may not have. The greatest lid to your life is how much you're willing to humble yourself and learn where you are right now. God wants to do something. He's got to teach you, and he's putting people in your life to help teach you along the way. Number two. Second person, group of people who can hold us accountable are people who walk beside us. People who walk beside us. These are the people that should be your best friends, your spouse, the people in your inner circle. These are the people you hang out with on a Friday night, the people that you take vacations with together, the people who are going through the same stuff that you are right now. These are the people you have daily relationships with. But in order for the, these people to help you do anything, you have to be honest with them. You have to have genuine, real relationships with these people. A lot of times we, we, we have these friendships and we're not being honest with them. 
I know you guys have been in the prayer circles before. You maybe you've been in a small group or life group, or you've been hanging out with your friends, and and the subject comes up: How can we be praying for you? Or does anybody have any prayer requests or something like that? And it always seems to be there's always those people who go, "I have an unspoken prayer request. I'm just going through some stuff. Um, just pray for me. I'm just I'm just struggling. Never honest. Never telling anything. I'm just just unspoken." I don't know why they always talk with a real southern accent, but they do. It's just a real soft, gentle, unspoken request. Just just pray. We got to get honest with people. We got to have people in our lives. We we are okay telling them stuff. Um, I called Kim Boyd out first service. I'm going to do it again. She, she, She... Text me this week and says, I need to FaceTime you or I need to Marco Polo or I need to do something to you because I, I got a lot of stuff I need to talk about, so I'm just going to word vomit to you. You need people in your life, you can just, this is what's going on. This is where I'm struggling. This is, I, I can't make this nice and pretty. I just got to tell you. We need people in our life we can just talk to, we can tell our honest struggles with. They're going through the same stuff. and it, The only way people can help is if they know what's going on. Now, don't misunderstand. Not everybody needs to know everything. They don't need to know, you know, a stranger doesn't, you don't need to go up to a stranger or maybe you're on the greet team here at the church and you meet somebody for the first time. Hey, I gotta tell you. That's weird. Don't do that. But people you're close to, people you have real relationship with, you need to open up and tell somebody something. God doesn't bless who you pretend to be. He blesses who you are. God wants to know the real you, and he uses ordinary people around you to do that. We were meant for community. We were meant for one another. There's a reason Jesus called the disciples two at a time. He never called one of them out. He called them in groups. God wants you to bless who you are. We're honest with who we really are, with somebody, with God. Some of us struggle with being honest with God. We're going through stuff, and we're not even willing to tell God our struggles. We gotta open up. We gotta be vulnerable. We gotta be honest. James 5:16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. This is a part of the healing process. If I had to guess, there's probably people in this room right now, and I know there's people in our church who they feel like they keep hitting a brick wall on their healing because they're not going, they're praying to God, they're asking God to do something, but we're missing this step. We're not talking to anybody. And we're missing a vital part of the healing process. God can't heal the things we hide from him. We have to be open. We have to be vulnerable to him. God can't read our minds. Or God can read our minds, but our friends can't. You have to have open and honest conversations. So if you don't have somebody like that in your life, find somebody. I'm so fortunate. Me and my wife, our, our, our real-life leaders, our tribe leaders that minister to our students, that's our tribe. Man, we talk about everything with each other. We're hanging out all the time. That's our family. We, we are opening up. We're all going through the same seasons of life, and we, that's our tribe. you got to find it. You have to have somebody. You have to communicate. So we need to be teachable by the people who went before us. We need to be honest with the people who are walking beside us. And the last thing we need to do is be intentional with the people who are behind us. The people who watch behind us. We have to be intentional with these people. And I want you to know, no matter who you are in this room, you have more influence than you realize. You have more people watching you than you realize. And I don't say this to pressure you or to get inside of your head or make you consumed with getting people's approval or, or living your life that way. 
But I do say that because it's so important to realize that the story that we have has an impact on people's lives. That there may be people at your job, at your school, in Walmart, okay, who just see you and see something different about you and aren't, aren't sure how to get to that point. There are people who need help. There are people who need you to be an example for them. We talked, you know, the first point was that you need people in front of you. Some of you need to be the people that are in front of other people. To set the example, to be, be front and center. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share, I might share in its blessings. Paul was a little arrogant sometimes. And if Paul was around today, you'd probably unfollow him on Instagram because he was a little arrogant, okay? And I've had many conversations with, with students, college students, just adults who say, I have a hard time reading Paul's writing because he seems cocky. He was. Let me just point that out. But this verse specifically, I get a lot, because it says he was all things to everybody. What, what does he think he, who does he think he is? I think Paul was just cognizant of the fact that there are people behind him watching. He's up there teaching people how to live like Christ. He needs to be aware that there are people who need to see it. There are people that need to hear his story. He says, I became weak so I could win the weak. We have to show our weakness. We have to show our failures. We need to tell people about the time we screwed up so they don't feel so bad about themselves when they screw up and so they know how to overcome it. We all have a story to tell. And I know there's some people in this place, I know because I felt like this for a long time, where you don't think that you have a grand story. Maybe you weren't, you know, miraculously saved from an illness or you didn't make a decision in a church one day and give up cocaine or something like that the next day. You don't have a radical transformation, but God can use every story to tell people about God. There's a story I'm going to tell you guys real quick. I, I told this to our students a couple of weeks ago. There's a story about a guy named Kyle, and this is, this is a few years old, I guess, by now, but Kyle was a transfer student. He had gone to private school the first eight grades or so, and he transferred over his freshman year of high school to a public school. And Kyle was, he was not having a great first week or two of school. He was, he was really struggling. He wasn't making any friends. He wasn't, he wasn't in a good place. He felt all alone. He felt like nobody loved him. Just didn't make any connections with people. He was kind of a scrawny, nerdy kid. And one day after school, it was a Friday afternoon after school was over, he went to his locker. He got every one of the books out of his locker. He stuffed his backpack and he had a big stack he was going to carry home. So he's leaving the school. He's on his way home. And he's, he's outside the school. And these, these older football players come running past him and they shove him to the ground. Books go flying everywhere. Glasses on the floor scratched up. He's just icing on the cake for his day. And another freshman comes around. We're going to call him Jack. I don't know his real name, so I'll just keep calling him Jack. But Jack comes up and he says, hey, dude, man, I'm sorry about those jerks. Those are, guys are idiots. Let me help you out. 
He helps him to his feet. He grabs some books, gives him his glasses, makes sure he's okay. And says, hey, where do you live? They find out they live near each other in the same neighborhood. So they said, well, here, I'll help you carry your books back to your house. And so they start walking. As they're walking, they're talking. They're having a great time. They're, they're cutting up. And for the first time in a while, Kyle feels like, I actually have a friend. They make it all the way home. And Jack's like, hey, tomorrow me and some friends are going to play football at the park. You should come with us. Meet some people. I'll introduce you to some guys. We'll have a great time. So he says, sure, I'll go. So fast forward four years later. Senior year of high school. It's graduation week. Because of Kyle's influence on, or Jack's influence on Kyle, Kyle's kind of, he's made some friends. He's got some confidence. And he's no longer this puny little freshman anymore. He's filled out. He's a good-looking high school senior. Super smart still, though. He's valedictorian of his class. He's getting ready to make a speech. He's going to Georgetown to be a doctor. His friend Jack is going to play football at Duke. Life has just worked. They've been best friends for four years. And Kyle gets up, graduation day, in front of his whole class, all the parents, gets up there to make his speech. Of course, he has to reminisce. This is what all valedictorians do at some point. They reminisce on their high school experience. And he starts out by talking about that freshman year, that first couple of weeks of school. And he says, I didn't have a friend in the world. Life was really bad. He said, I, I made up my mind that week, that day, that Friday afternoon, that I was going to go home and end my life. And so I took all the books, I emptied out my locker so my mom wouldn't have to do it. And so I got all that stuff and I took it home. And when I thought it was going to get the worst, when I got knocked down, I had a friend who I didn't know at the time shared part of his story and picked me back up again. And I came back Monday with that stack of books one more time and put them back in my locker because I knew now I have a purpose. Because of one man's actions saved a person's life. Now, I don't know Jack's full story. I don't know everything they talked about. His story may not have been any different than yours. But by one simple action, by just sharing his story, by being who he was to somebody who needed it, he saved a life. I say all that to say this. I know, and listen, I've been doing student ministry for a long time, and that's a very student ministry kind of story. But I know for a fact that there are adults, maybe parents, grandparents, college students, in this room right now who you feel like your story doesn't matter, that it's not some grand story. Let me tell you my story, okay? I've been a church kid my whole life. I made the decision for Christ when I was like seven or eight. Once I was finally under, old enough to understand what it was. I felt God call me to the ministry around 14 years old to lead worship and to, and to speak and be a leader. And so I've been pursuing that ever since. That's my story. There was no radical moment where my life completely shifted and I, I made a 180. And maybe your life is like that. Maybe you've got that story. That's amazing. Use it. But maybe you're also in this room right now and you grew up in church. You've lived a good Christian life. You're raising your kids in a Christian home and taking them to church and doing all the right things. But you feel like you, you don't have an impact. Can I tell you this morning, church, there are people who need you to keep them accountable. There are people who are looking to you, 
looking for you to help them out when they're struggling. That time in your life where you really struggled with your faith. You never went away, but you just struggled with the thought. There's people out there right now who are struggling with the thought. That time in your marriage where it was really rocky for a little bit. There are people out there who are struggling in their marriage where it's kind of rocky right now and they need somebody to teach them how. That time where, where you felt alone because all your friends moved away and now you don't have anybody. There are people out there who are suffering from loneliness who need somebody to share their story. I don't want us to think that the testimonies and stories only come from these big dramatic explosions. They come from the small moments too. And God's wanting to use all of us to be, help people be accountable. Amen? I want you guys to bow your heads with me.